Well, good morning again. It's been so long. Now, I, we got to take a moment before we, before we get started. I, I saw it in your guys' eyes. Some of you guys were distracted while we are doing the welcome, while we are doing communion together. Some of you guys were distracted by this beauty here. So just take a moment. Feel envious. Oogle. It's okay. I give you permission in this space here. Let me, let me do this. I've been practicing. Okay. There you go. Be jealous. This is a work of art. Someone came up to me between services and they go, Sean, I have, I have two things that I'm upset at you about, which is always a great way to start a conversation. I'm like, yeah. And they said, you didn't buy boots that match. <laughs> it is a grave offense, but my style can only go so far. So I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Hey, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can go to mymcc.info, and there's actually a spot where it says sermon notes. You can click on that, and you can follow along with all the verses there. There's one in the seat back. You can take that with you. Um, if you don't own a Bible, uh, Mark, sorry, Mark 6. Mark 6 is where we're going to be. This morning, if you are here last week, you probably know this, but this morning, this is week two, this is a unique series. Normally, if you've been around here before, what we do as a church is we just kind of go verse by verse through the Bible, okay? We started in Matthew two and a half years ago, and in two weeks, we're going to go back to Matthew 9, okay? So, in about 467 years, we'll get to the book of Revelation, which would be good because I'll be long gone and I don't want to have to deal with the book of Revelation. So, um, we're in the, right? But we're taking a couple weeks to kind of set out and have this kind of special conversation because we get to have, we get to have a conversation about the blessing, about the gift that God gives us to be generous. So I know some of you were here last week. And so last week you were in second service. Jared did the same thing about seven times louder. And you had a little heart attack. Your pacemaker went Bleh! and kind of had to reset things. Okay? But here, let me tell you this, okay? Let me tell you this. Let me be honest with you. I believe, as your pastor, I believe that we're having this conversation because generosity is a gift. That God is giving you a gift inviting you to be generous. Uh, let me ask it this way. Um, uh, I'm going to ask two questions. You have to raise your hand for one of them. I'm only going to tell you questions one time, so you have to gamble if you want to raise your hand the first time or the second time, okay? So here's the first question, okay? Raise your hand if you like stuff. Be honest. We're in church. Don't lie in church, okay? Okay, here's the second question. Put your hand down. Raise your hand if you're a liar, because we all like stuff, right? Every single one of us likes stuff. There, there's a reason. There's a reason that the average American household has $16,601 in credit card debt. Because we like stuff. We like stuff. Like, so much of our economy as Americans is built on us liking stuff. Advertisement is built on you liking stuff. We like Stuff. And so it may not seem like much of a surprise that uh, throughout the scriptures that God actually talks about your money 
over 2,300 times. And you might get the impression as you're reading through the Bible with God talking about money all the time. 2,300 verses about money all the time. You know how many times God talks about prayer? Less than 500 times. You know how many times he talks about faith? A little over 500 times. 2,300 times he talks about money. You might get the impression that God's obsessed with money, but the reason he does is because he's inviting us to a gift because what he knows is that we are obsessed with stuff, that we're obsessed with stuff. Every single one of us, like, just be honest. We're in church, like, we all like new stuff and amazing coats like this, right? We all like stuff, but God's inviting us God's inviting us to see the world in a different way. Last week, we, we talked about this. We had this um, uh, uh, cycles, and we showed you these pictures, right? And we talked about that most of us live out of what's called the scarcity cycle or scarcity mentality. And see, God provides, and then the first thing we do is we consume, right? You get your paycheck, woo, buddy, we're eating good this week, right? And then by the end of the month, it's like, Top ramen for the next three days, hot dogs, right? Bought them cheap at Costco. No, we didn't go to Costco. It's chaos at Costco, okay, right? We all like, and, and so we consume, and then we have the cycle where we consume, and then we lack, and then what happens when you lack? What happens when it's the 27th of the month, and you don't get paid till the 1st, and your bank account looks broke, You start to panic and you start to fear. And when we lack, we fear. And when we fear, we medicate our fear with consumption. And when we consume, we lack. And when we lack, we fear. And when we fear, we medicate with consumption. And it creates this scarcity mentality. But we talked about last week that God's inviting us to see the world in kind of a different way. That God's inviting us to see the world in a way where he provides. And the first thing we do is we give. The first thing we do is we live generously. We talked about last week, we talked about um, uh, that it doesn't take faith to give last with what's left over, but it takes faith to give first. And so we, we give, we give first, and then God multiplies. That's actually what we're going to talk about today. That's the whole thing we're going to talk about today is what God does when we give. And then when God multiplies, it builds our faith. And so when our faith gets built uh, build up more, we want to give more. And it creates this whole different cycle where God gives, we want it, God multiplies, it builds our faith, we want to give. And God's inviting us to a different kind of of cycle, a different way of viewing the world. We see it, if you have your Bibles open, to Mark 6, or if you're at mymc.info, Mark 6. We're going to be in verse 34. Mark 6, 34. This is probably a story you've heard. Even if you haven't been in church much or ever, you've probably heard this story at some point, some way, something. So it says this, Mark 6, verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd... He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. This is like a legitimate, pragmatic, if you're a crowd management kind of person, like, Jesus, you should have known. You should have planned ahead. You knew there'd be people here. You didn't make a reservation, okay? Verse 37. But he answered, look at what Jesus says. You give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. 
Are we to go and look at this? This is the important word. This is the difference between Jesus and the disciples. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them? Jesus simply replied with these words, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. You see, the disciples' eyes are fixed on what they're going to have to spend, right? As would you. The, the Bible tells us that there are 5,000 people there. Well, the, the Bible tells us there are 5,000 because it's only counting men, okay? It's just the way it would have worked culturally in their day. They were only counting men. So, so realistically, there's somewhere between 15 and 25,000 people filling this, this hillside, and there's 12 disciples of Jesus, right? And, and, and Jesus says to him, you feed them. Right? You feed him. And you, you got to think, like we like to kind of romanticize stories, stuff like that, but you got to think the 12 disciples, they got to be looking around going, like who, Jesus? Do, do you know, Jesus? Do you remember? Jesus, you, you came up to me and you said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And you know what I did, Jesus? I left all my wealth on the beach. You remember? Like the, the, the Gospels, they're going to write about, they're going to read about thousands of years later. I dropped my nets. I left my boats. Boats aren't cheap. I left my boats to come follow you. Jesus, you just told us, right? That, that the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Jesus, like who of us? <laughs> Jesus, I don't know what you think I've been doing during the day, but I've been driving Uber during the day. Like, I, I don't know where you think I'm getting half a year's wages to feed all these people. Their eyes, their eyes, look at the difference between what Jesus sees and what they see. Their eyes were fixed on what they lacked. Their eyes were fixed on what they could afford. But Jesus' eyes are fixed on what can be given. Jesus' eyes are fixed on what can be given. Jesus asked them this question, and I want to ask you this today. This is the single question, the question we're going to ask all today, and it's just this simple, okay? What do you have? That's what Jesus asks. Jesus doesn't ask him to figure out how to manage it all. Jesus doesn't figure out how to, to, to get, the, Jesus doesn't say, figure out logistically how to get enough semis in here with enough food, um, math, somebody did the math, not me, somebody did the math and said it would have taken about seven semis full of bread alone to feed 15,000 people, okay? Seven semis out on the, like Jesus, Jesus' only question to them is what do you have? What do you have? Their eyes were fixed on what they lacked. Jesus asked them to look and see what they have. You know, in fact, this is the crazy thing. That's all God's going to ask of you. What do you have? What do you have? There's this story, you maybe have heard it before, um, about this manager. Jesus tells the story about this manager. Guy owns a bunch of stuff, and it says that he went on a trip, and he gave five talents or five bags of gold Okay, um, uh, talents was a unit of money. It wasn't like, oh, he's really good at singing, and he's really good at tap dancing, and he's really good at ukulele, right? It wasn't that. And cross-stitching, right? Um, five talents, five bags of gold, right? He gives him five bags. He gives another guy two, and he gives another guy one. And then the guy goes off on a journey, and he comes back a year later. The story's supposed to be about God and us. It's telling us something about who God is and who we're, what God expects of us. And he comes to the guy with five, Right? You remember the story? He says to the guy with five, he says, what have you done with the, what I left with you? And he says, he says Master, I, I took the five, and I invested, and I worked it, and, and now I have five more, right? And I have ten. 
And he says this. You remember what he says to him? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Now I will trust you with much more. Right? And then the, the guy with two comes. The guy with two comes up and he says, he says Father, uh, Master, um, uh, God, you gave me two talents. You gave me two bags of gold. I invested those and I worked those and I got two bags of gold. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say that the master came to him and he goes, two bags? Two bags? Did, did, were you here when we had this conversation? Did you just hear what the guy with five bags did? He did five bags of gold. He brought five bags and you're going to bring two bags to me? And you think I'm going to be happy with you bringing two bags? He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say any of that. Because the guy with two bags of gold, he just has two bags of gold. And he says he brought two more bags of gold. He brought four he brought way less than the guy with 10 bags of gold. And you know what the master says to him? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been entrusted with a little. I will give you much more. Well done. All, all he asks is, what, do you, what are you doing with what I've entrusted you with? What do you have? What do you have? Because you see, when we focus on what we lack or what we can afford or what we can spend, it feeds this scarcity cycle. It changes where our eyes look on the stuff instead of the God who's entrusted us with it. Because you see what Jesus does? You know what Jesus does? He takes it and he says that he, 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 he blesses it and then he gives it out. Because you see the difference between the disciples and Jesus is that, is that Jesus knows the Father who makes out of nothing everything that exists. Jesus, Jesus knows the Father who provided manna in the wilderness for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Hebrews in the wilderness for 40 years. 5,000 people for dinner is nothing, right? Like God does that in his board time. Right? This is the God. Think about the wilderness. This is the God that Jesus knows. This is the Father that Jesus knows. The God who out of nothing feeds millions for four decades. And the disciples come with five loaves and two fish, and they're terrified that this God cannot provide enough for 5,000 for one meal. Because they looked. They went, what? It was almost laughable what they brought to him. I, I wonder what kind of conversations they had when they were bringing it to him because like we, we kind of posture, I think, most of the time when we read this story, we kind of posture them bringing five loaves and two fish as a great act of faith. But it doesn't actually say that anywhere in there that it was a great act of faith. He says, go find what you have. And I wonder if, I wonder if when they were coming back, they were just kind of like, yeah, yeah. Jesus thinks we're going to feed 5,000 people. Let me show you what we got. We got five loaves and two fish. And before you even like jump to like, oh, five loaves, like, well, you know, a loaf of bread, you know, bleh, bleh, loaf of bread. It tells us in another part of the scriptures that um, this was actually one boy's lunch. So don't think of a loaf of bread. Think of like the tiniest bagel you've ever seen, right? But think of, think of donut holes, right? Donut holes are so good. Are they not? I mean, like they're all the goodness of a donut just compiled in, in one bite, right? Some of you guys are like modest and you take two bites, but they're donut holes because they're meant to fit in your mouth in one bite. Just, oh, oh. Five dots of bread, nothing. They bring it to Jesus like, Jesus, look, 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 look. Look, Jesus, this, this is all we got. 
But Jesus knows the God who multiplies. Jesus knows the God who is able to speak into existence where there is nothing. Jesus knows the God, the Father, who is able to take such a tiny offering and feed 15 to 20,000 people. Because his mentality is different. Jesus isn't afraid of what he doesn't have because he knows the God who can multiply and make where there isn't. The question to you today is this. What do you have? I mean, it may just feel like five loaves and two fish, and you may even come to Jesus just like the disciples did with this offering and be like, Jesus, Jesus, do you know the amount of need in this world? Do you know the hurting in my own life? Do you know the brokenness in our community? Do you know how little this is? But the only question he's asking you is the same one he asked the disciples. What do you have? Go and see. What do you have? Bring it here. Bring it here. What do you have? Scarcity asks the question, what can I afford? But abundance asks the question, what do I have? This last week, I was hanging out with some other pastors. All of the pastors in the community get together every Wednesday, and we're hanging out, and um, uh, one of the pastors was talking about a project that they're a part of, and um, they were short on money, uh, like $140,000, you know, just like pocket change. You know, you all right? You guys just pocket change? You just, you know, pull a little money out, right? <laughs> and some of the other guys were like, I mean, these are pastors, right? Because we're, we're all dudes, like real life busted people, right? And uh, we're like, whoa, 140000 whoa. I've never seen 140000 Like, that's a lot of money, right? And this is what his response was. He said, eh, I'm just waiting for God to sell some sheep, right? Scripture tells us that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not lacking. He, he's not sitting there. Like, God isn't panicking when all these people are coming, and God's like, come on, Holy Spirit, make them go away. There's too many. Five loaves and two fish, just something little. What, what do you have? What do you have? That's the only question Jesus is going to ask of you. You see, when we live out of scarcity, we will always be fearful and anxious. How are we going to do it? How are we going to provide it? How can we afford it? How can we make up enough? How can we pay it all? We're going to live out of scares. We're going to live out of fear and anxiety. But Matthew 6, Jesus invites us. It's a gift. He's inviting us to come and trust God in a different way. He says this in Matthew 6. So I tell you, don't worry about the food or drink you need to live. Right? Jesus said this before feeding the 5,000. You think the disciples might have remembered it. Or about clothes you need for your body. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Look at the birds in the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. But your heavenly Father feeds them. And you know that you are worth much more than the birds. You cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. I feel like some of us just need to write that on the mirror in our, in our, in our bathroom. You cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. You can't add any time to your life by worrying about the stock market, which some of you have been doing a lot the last couple weeks. You can't add any time to your life about worrying about the, the chaos in the world. You can't add any time to your life by worrying about it. 
And why do you worry about clothes? Jesus says, look at the lilies in the field. They do not work or make clothes for themselves, but I tell you that not even Solomon with his riches was dressed as beautifully as one of these flowers. God clothes the grass, the field, and which is alive today, but tomorrow is thrown into the fire. So you can be even more sure that God will clothe you. Don't have so little faith. Don't worry and say, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? Isn't that what the disciples just said? Jesus, what will we eat? Verse 32, the people who don't know God keep trying to get these things, and your Father in heaven knows you need them. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all your other needs will be met as well. See, Jesus is inviting us to a kind of life where we draw near to the one who is able to provide in all circumstances. Jesus is inviting us to live in a kind of abundance that he talks about in John 10.10 where he says that I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Disciplined generosity is a gift from God that breaks the cycle of scarcity of focusing on what we lack and focus on the one who provides. You see, the sad thing though is like most of us, Jesus, because see, like, let's be honest, some of these things, like to trust God with everything that you have, to be generous, to live open-handed, to give first, to be generous first, is hard, isn't it? It's hard, and there are days and there are nights where it's strenuous and, and fearful, but God's calling you and inviting you to step out in faith, and that he can provide, and he can multiply, and he can do incredible things, and that'll grow your faith. When I was growing up, um, uh, we made a lot of homemade ice cream. Can you tell? I like ice cream. Right? We made a lot of ice cream. And uh, we would be like out camping and making homemade ice cream. And, and I don't know if you had to do this or if my dad just liked torturing us. But when you make ice, probably the latter. So when you make ice cream, you, you get like the Walmart cheap uh, ice cream maker that's supposed to look like really old but is actually brand new. And it's got the little electric motor on the top right? And you put all the stuff in, you put the rock salt and all the ice and all that kind of stuff, and, and it starts, it starts this, it's not like the best sound in the summer, just sitting on the back porch, just that, and then, and then it does this, and it stops, right? Because the clutch says that it's thick enough and all that kind of stuff, but if you know anything about real ice cream, when you're making ice cream, that little, that little motor thing only makes it about as much to a milkshake, Right? And if you want really good slow churn homemade ice cream, what you got to do is you got to take off that electric motor and you got to take the hand crank. You know the hand crank? You got to put the hand crank on the, and you got to crank the hand crank. And I remember growing up, my dad would always make us do that, right? Because he's my dad and he can do that, right? And so we're sitting there and you're cranking and it takes, if you've ever done it, it takes about three rotations before you're like, oh, come Lord Jesus, right? Like, you're like sweating, and it's the summer, and it's July, so it's 107 degrees anyways, and you're sweating, and, and we'd want to stop, and my dad would say this, we'd want to stop, and he'd say, you can, but you're just going to have a milkshake, but if you want ice cream, you got to do the hard work. You see, some of us are satisfied with the relationship with God that's just like a milkshake, when God's inviting us to ice cream, when God's inviting us to a depth, when God's inviting us to so much more, but so many of us are afraid to do the hard work. And there are things like this that are hard work of trusting and believing that God is able to provide. 
But if we do the hard work, then God shows up, God moves, and it builds our faith and wants us to draw closer to him, and it creates this cycle. It creates this cycle. You see, there's a lot of things in the kingdom of God that are kind of weird. There are a lot of things in our relationship with God that seem upside down and backwards, right? Um, Mark, Mark 6 says this, and he, being Jesus, took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples. Isn't that awesome? Just keeps giving. Like, Jesus just keeps providing. Five loaves and two fish, and he divided up the two fish among them. He keeps giving them. You see, in the kingdom of God, what, what is given away, what is, what is entrusted to God, God multiplies. We have such a mentality in our culture that we want to, we want to um, protect. And we live out of such fear and scarcity that we have to make sure we have a buffer and we have enough savings, we have enough retirement. And not to say savings and retirement are bad, but we're so concerned with creating um, enough that we can feel comfortable and safe. When God's inviting us to first give and to trust that he will provide. So many of the things in the kingdom of God are, are upside down. You know, it says stuff like this. You've heard it, right? It says stuff like this. To find your life, you actually have to lose it. To find your life, you actually have to lose it. That the greatest amongst you will be the least. He'll be the servant. That, that to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you. This upside-down kingdom where God's calling us to do things that don't make sense in the world we live in, but when we trust him that he's good and he's able, he moves and does miraculous things, and so he comes to the point where he says that it is truly more blessed to give than it is to receive. God's inviting you to this upside-down kingdom. God's inviting you to trust him, to see, to test him. In fact, we talked about this last week, Malachi 3.10 right? You, you've probably heard it before, Malachi 3.10, it says this, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse so there may be food in my house and test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. Test me in this, right? This is the thing where God says, it seems so crazy and so upside down that you would live generous first, that you would seek to be irrationally generous, because we truly believe that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. That would be so crazy and upside down. It is the one time in scripture that God says to you, he says, test me. Test me. Test me in this. And see if I don't show up in amazing ways. You see, last week we challenged you and encouraged you to to take God seriously in this and to testing him with tithing. We did this thing called the tithe challenge. And if you didn't do it last week, you want to do it this week, you're welcome to. But basically we said, um, commit to tithing, commit to giving discipline, generosity first to God for the next 90 days. And our elder team will commit to praying for you every single day. You put on the connect card, you can just write like tithe challenge or 90-day challenge or whatever. And, and, and we'll pray for you every single day. We have a list from last week that our elder team is praying over every single day. And at the end of 90 days, we'll reach out to you and see what God's been doing in your life. And if God hasn't been doing miraculously more abundantly than you could have asked or imagined, we'll write you a check and give you every single dollar back. Because that's what God says. He says, test me in this. Test me. But it made me wonder, five loaves and two fish, it's so little. What could God do with a little? What if, what if all you have is just a little? What if, what if all you have is just these like little pieces of bread, stale bread and a couple sardine-like fish? 
There's this story, you maybe have heard uh, about it before. I want to read it to you. Um, it's a story about this little girl. Her name is Hattie Mae Wyatt. Okay? And it says this. This is from the 19th century. Hattie Mae Wyatt was a six-year-old girl who lived near Grace Baptist Church in Philadelphia, USA, in case you didn't know where Philadelphia was. The Sunday school was very crowded. Russell H. Conwell, isn't that a good name, right? You could just kind of see the guy, Dr. Russell H. Conwell, right? Dr. Russell H. Conwell was the minister. He told her that one day they would have buildings enough to allow everyone to attend, and she said this to him, I hope you will. It is so crowded, I'm afraid to go there alone. He replied, when we get the money, we will construct one large enough to get all the children of Philadelphia in. Two years later, in 1886, at eight years old, Hattie Mae died. After the funeral, Hattie's mother gave the minister a little bag they'd found under their daughter's pillow containing 57 cents in change that she'd saved up. Along with it was a note in her handwriting that said, to help build bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. The minister took the 57 cents and changed all the money into pennies. He then went before the church and offered to sell each one of the pennies. He received $250 and 54 of the cents were given back. The $250 was itself changed into pennies and sold by the newly formed Wyatt Might Society in honor of this girl. In this way, her 57 cents kept multiplying. 26 years later, in a talk entitled The History of the 57 Cents, the minister explained the results of her 57-cent donation, just five loaves and two fish. He says this, because of the 57-cent donation, a church with a membership of over 5,600 people there was a hospital built where tens of thousands of people had been treated, 80,000 young people had gone through university, and 2,000 people had gone out to preach the gospel. All this because Hattie Mae had invested her 57 cents, 57 cents by a six-year-old girl. So what could God do with a little? We've seen God do incredible things. In fact, um, the last couple of years, we've been doing this diaper drive. If you've been around for, for um, a Mother's Day, you've seen we do this diaper drive deal thing, and we started this a couple years ago, and at first we just said, hey, it's Mother's Day, let's bless um, families who have kids in foster care, and let's collect a bunch of diapers and wipes, right? Because they can be expensive. If you've got kids, they can be, they're a whole own line item on a budget, right? And so um, let's just collect diapers and wipes. And, and a lot of you did. And over the last couple years, it's gotten bigger and bigger, but it's only gotten bigger and bigger because each one of us has brought something small. For some of you, it's just been like a little bag of, of like $10 um, uh, diapers or, or a $5 thing of wipes. For some of you, it's been a couple hundred dollars worth of diapers. And even that for you has felt like a small amount. And for some of you, $10 has felt like a huge amount. But because of all of us have brought something small to God, he continues to use that in amazing and incredible ways. And in fact, I just, I want to take a moment. I want to share with you a video that you can see what's happened last year when we filled a trailer full of diapers and took it to DHS. So when I see this church, 
I want to fractal that out. I want to see it with every church. Anything from little donations, little help, up to like what they did to me, which was like huge and something I've never seen before, it impacts our community greatly. So I'm Katie Martin. I'm our resource developer and addiction recovery team leader here at DHS Polk County Child Welfare. I have been here for 10 years. Uh, my name is Ritter Warren. I've been a CPS worker just a little over two years. My name is Chad Cobbin, and I'm a certifier for DHS Child Welfare. Been doing it for three years. We're the people who, the front line of like helping them and seeing if there is like abuse or neglect occurring and then the worst circumstances which nobody likes is potentially removing a child. So I got connected with MCC actually going to a service integration team meeting with the pleasure and privilege of meeting Sean. But we got connected and he just said he had a heart and the church really had a heart to help our population, help our foster parents, help the families that we work with in looking at ways we could partnership together. When I was tamping, when I was first starting at DHS, I saw the connection. I heard about the connection. I heard about people talking about this church. The first year, we were blown away. We had uh, Yuli and Sean both show up in the truck. The back was completely full. Katie got the whole office together and was like, can we get some diapers and wipes? And This year, they show up. They have this humongous trailer. So we hear diapers are coming. And then I walk outside and I'm like, oh, there's diapers. Pretty sure the whole office was helping out. I had my entire team, we were like in a line of people just like passing diapers. Filling up our clothing closet, us putting out diapers under the desks in back rooms. There's no words, really. There is absolutely no words for the shock and just humbleness that we felt. For us, it's huge. I don't think people understand that even a box of diapers or wipes goes so much further in the families that we have contacts in their lives. It was awe-inspiring. I mean, there's no other way to even even say it. With this job, there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of uh, self-doubt. Um, but seeing that and kind of what a community can do um, impact, it just it put everyone in a good mood. I mean, I was having a rough day that day, most honestly. And I'm <laughs> going out there and I'm going, I needed this. You know, I needed just this, this moment. It's moving. And then it inspires us as a team. <laughs> Sorry, I get emotional when I talk about it. <laughs> I just want to say thank you. I mean, what they did was they, they're giving families hope. Well, I personally want to thank MCC uh, for encouraging me and my colleagues and what we do. It's impacting hundreds, if not thousands of families and what they did. I just can't thank them enough. Thank you for how you've lifted us up. We are so incredibly, without a doubt, thankful for what you guys do and the difference that you make and the partnership you provide us. Because I have to say also, not only is it helping our families, but really it's giving um, our caseworkers a sense of um, thankfulness in the fact that we have that partnership and that we have people behind us appreciating us for the work that we're doing <laughs> and wanting to be part of that collaboration to make that impact. It's, it's just so great. So we thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
just a little in the hand of God impacts thousands. So I have a challenge for you. Last week we talked about tithe challenge. I have a simple challenge for you this week. To ask the question, what could God do this week if every single one of us gave one dollar? One dollar. I mean, what can you buy with a dollar, right? What can you buy with a... I went to McDonald's yesterday with my kids. I didn't realize they don't even have a dollar menu anymore. You can't buy a hamburger for a dollar. You know what? A hamburger at McDonald's is a dollar twenty. Tell my kids when I'm old. I remember back in my day when you could buy something with a dollar, right? Right? See a dollar on the ground, I ain't picking it up anymore, you know, right? (laughs) But what could God do if every single one of us, for every single person in our family, gave one dollar more this week than we planned? If every single one of us did that, we got $400, $425 this week. What could God do in the next seven days with $425 in his hands? The God who multiplies, the God who takes five loaves and two fish, Here's, uh, I don't have a plan for what that's going to be. I've been praying for weeks that if you would be, if you would join me and you'd give $1 more than you plan on giving per person in your family this week, that God would set up, that God already knows, that God has a plan to impact and to do something miraculous and amazing more than we could ask or imagine with $400 or $425. So this week, what do you have? That's the question. There's a verse I want to end with that was right at the beginning, actually. Mark 6, verse 34, it says this, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, the real difference between Jesus and the disciples was that Jesus saw people and the disciples saw money. Jesus saw 5,000 men with women and children standing on a hillside, and he had compassion. His heart broke for them. Jesus is inviting us to be like him and to live open-handed, trusting in the abundance of God that we serve a God who multiplies even five loaves and two fish. You see, this is what we do. The question we've been asking these weeks is, are you a part of we? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are a God of abundance, that you are a God of mercy, that you are a God of grace, that you are a God of restoration, that you are a God of reconciliation, that you are a God who multiplies five loaves and two fish, that you are a God of heavens and the earth, that you are the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that you are a God who lacks nothing, who loves desperately. Lord, we pray this morning that we might come before you, trusting and believing and offering you all of who we are. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a moment, we're going to worship. There'll be words up on the screen. We'd invite you to stand and to sing with us. The word worship actually is really important to this conversation. The word worship comes from the Middle English, which means, which comes from the words worth-ship, and it's to give value to something. It's to say something is worth your investment. When we come to worship, what we're saying is that God is worthy of not just our money, not just of our resources, not just of our time, not just of our talents, not just of our hearts, but that God is worthy of everything that we have. So this morning, whether you choose to sit or stand or raise your hands or to pray where you are or pray with people in the back, 
Whatever you choose to do, let us declare that he is worthy of everything that we are. 